0: There's a tendency in crypto to underplay the human element of things like DAOs and the complexity of government. But we also have a bunch of brilliant minds that are working on this. And the reason why they're so brilliant is not because of what they know today, but because of how they learn and how they bring that knowledge from several domains into use in these new domains. That
1: was Jordan Gray, and this is the second from the Lisbon special series recorded at Niercon Beta 2022. Jordan is a Near ecosystem OG that has been involved in a range of products and projects such as 10K, which is largely responsible for kicking off the NFT movement on Near, and most recently AstroDAO, where he is leading product development. During this amazing and wide-ranging conversation, we cover everything such as the origins and evolution of NFTs, onboarding, offboarding and the potential of DAOs, and finally we dive into the Near Digital Collective or NDC, what it is and the potential for the future. I really enjoyed this conversation with Gordon because he is hilarious and very insightful And, even though the conversation was recorded a few weeks ago, it has aged extremely well, it embodies the product-first builder mindset, and I hope that you find it equally inspiring and entertaining. Without further ado, I'll let you enjoy this conversation with Sir Jordan.
2: Hello, Sir Jordan. Welcome to the Wild User Interviews podcast.
1: Hello.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm feeling wild, I'm feeling used.
2: We're off to a strong start. How could you not feel wild in this setting?
0: It's incredible. The scope of this conference is worlds different from last year. We have water features. It is incredible.
2: Before we jump into the, what I've called the Jumanji scene, do we want to tell people where we are?
0: This is NierCon 2022. Nier is now NierCon Beta. Good stuff. So this is
2: one of the few very exciting and privileged interviews where we get to do this in person.
0: Yes, it's such a pleasure to see you. I such don't even treat. have
2: to reach out too far to touch you, <laughs> which I shall promise
0: will be not happening during this interview. If it didn't already.
2: Correct, correct. But no, the New York venue is unbelievable. So this year is the second year being held in Lisbon, Portugal, and... Uh, I imagine that there were some challenges in trying to accommodate the increase in projects and attendees. So somehow we managed to get hold of a huge warehouse and it's got this amazing vibe between like old industrial, there's the craziest and coolest graffiti right next to the stages. And there's just projects and hackers everywhere.
0: Yeah, there's total Jomo, joy of missing out. You don't have to plan anything. Walk around, amazing things will happen. It's been great vibes. Four stages, I believe. There's just so much. And then not even to mention the side events on top of that.
2: Indeed. In fact, if you were not able to make it to nearcon, you probably know more about the presentations and the content if you've been watching the live streams. Because as Jordan mentioned, it's just overwhelming with events and information, and most of the fun, to be honest, if you're here, is just walking around and meeting people and trying new things. so. I'll definitely be watching all the live streams on airplanes yes. over the
0: next few weeks. Plenty to catch up on.
2: And just to clear up the reference to water.
0: Yes. there's. I believe that the weather has been lovely since we've gotten to Lisbon. There has been a bit of rain, but it's nice because It doesn't come down really all that heavy. And then when it lets up, it's just so beautiful. And then the sun shines through the clouds and it's great. But the rain that does come down has been hitting the warehouse. And the the roof has let some water through at points in time. And the whole vibe because of that is incredible, I think. I enjoy it. I am a fan of chaos and just like letting things happen and rolling with it. And the crew here, the crowd here everybody's been rolling with it.
2: I actually love that you mentioned that because I said it out loud a couple of times and people gave me a weird look and I was like, maybe that's not a thing, but I'm the same. I love the sense of, I guess it's organized chaos because to your point, there is a stellar crew that is able to react very quickly and appropriately to these threats as they fall from the roof. And I just want to say that I never really understood what our relationship with SailGP is or was or will be. But the best thing I've seen in this conference is the SailGP booth displaying sailboats across the sea with an insane amount of torrential water falling in.
0: coming <laughs> down from the sky, yeah. All around, it. that
2: was quite the scene.
0: Yeah, they were joking they should have brought a boat. I think they should have.
2: It is what it is. Um, Jordan... Why don't you start by telling us who you are?
0: All right. Now that we're starting. So I'm Jordan. I've been around the near ecosystem coming on two years, maybe a little bit more than that. And I got interested in the space through, actually, through an art and tech nonprofit that I've run for over 12 years. And we would usually do nightlife events. Kodome Art and Tech was recognized for our yearly festival. We're bring a bunch of interactive installations and performances together. and to support the 600 plus artists that we have worked with over the years and for the festival that year, we were doing it all online, tried NFTs and saw a ton of sales and then just wound up jumping in with both feet, seeing the opportunities in the space. So it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to step into the near ecosystem at the near Foundation, came in under Eric, the CEO at the time, and have been working on building networks of value and DAOs, so DAO tooling like Astro. And yeah, it's just, it's such a privilege. It's so exciting. And seeing the communities that are being built using these tools and that are part of the ecosystem is insanely rewarding.
2: I really like the story arc for several reasons. The first one is that it starts at the beginning. And the beginning of every successful entrepreneurial venture should be scratching your own itch, something that you're passionate about in crypto specifically, it should probably be something maybe that you were already doing in the real world. And Web3 as an opportunity to scale, to do some things differently, to create more value. That is immediately different from people that start from Web3 only. And you may even say a bit isolated, maybe from their market, from the users. There's a lot of variables that people sometimes isolate. So I really like that a 12-year art and tech yeah. non-profit finds its way into Nier, which leads to my next question. Why Near? I'm imagining that at the time there were many other ecosystems.
0: There was a lot to look at and explore. Our initial stab at NFTs was on Ethereum, and we did see a lot of success there. But the artists were also expressing concerns about the environmental impact of blockchain, or at least the perception of it about the usability of it. They didn't really like certain things like long hexadecimal numbers and there was there there was a few other things that they were like talking about as well. Splits and royalties not working perfectly things like that. And as I explored which I did try out minting everywhere that was possible at that time like counterparty blockchain like a coin sidechain Rheeloji Wax like I was all over the place I was super excited to explore this stuff and I couldn't do that today it's like the scene has exploded so much but when i found near it was the combination of the community the technology and just everything lined up there was the green community at near even at near foundation which operates as a carbon neutral company was like beautiful to see the whole create base mint base crowd and the things that were brewing there was so great meeting chloe and like just getting roped in through all of that. And then the split structure, like I was actually at the time reading the standard and how it worked. And I just loved that it was actually from the start implemented the way I would have wanted it to be. And I was like, oh, it works the way everybody expects it to work. That's I was also, I'm nerdy. I was very attracted to the open source culture around near the whiteboard series, the fact that they were getting into the nitty gritty of how the mechanics worked with other chains and having intellectual discussions about those things, not talking about token pump whatever but actually just talking tech and there being open office hours where you could listen to every team and what their status was no no crap just the real talk so i was really attracted to the authenticity and the qualities of the new ecosystem
2: i think you definitely made it further up (laughs) in the chain but i can really relate to starting just as a community member you discover the technology, you start diving deep, you like what you see, and it is through both your body of work and making connections with people that you start like being exposed to new opportunities. You know that I often tell people that before there was code, there were the creatives. So I'm really interested to dig more into those origin story. Cause mm. I know that and it is definitely much clearer now, hindsight of twenty twenty, that the way that I perceive it is The creatives community was both very vibrant, very low maintenance, the demands on the tech stack were low, and the returns on having an ecosystem, or at least the perception of an ecosystem, while we (laughs) bootstrap the rest, were high. So
0: yeah, I think that's fascinating. And without getting too political, I see it almost as a form of digital gentrification where... The people who are willing to go and explore and be where it's weird and maybe rough and that things don't always make sense and all of that are the creatives. The people who are explorers, who live because they love wayfinding and that's the artists. Their skill set is to digest all of the craziness in the world and to say something meaningful about it through their work. So artists are the ultimate wayfinders. They're on the forefront out here, just having fun, exploring, minting NFTs. And through that, you do have an authentic community. And it might not be like the full ecosystem that you'd want to see from a technology point of view, but it is like a vibrant actual community.
1: How does it evolve?
2: If I could just expand. How will the evolution of the near technology stack and all the other players coming on top of it, how would it impact the arts community? Like, they say they found their sweet spot in being quirky and first adopters and basically unbothered. Do you see the, I guess, the forces at play? And some of the analogies that come to mind, especially when you mentioned gentrification, would be, apparently, I was told in my tour of New York, that usually have this cycle of the dangerous, grungy neighborhoods, I guess like this warehouse where nobody really wants to go. And then the creatives come in, they make it really cool. Then people want to leave there, start investing in the area.
0: Mm The cycle ends by the creatives not being able to afford it. And then they have to keep going to new places. I guess one kind of analogy along those lines within the near ecosystem would be that blockchains, as they become more used and more and more successful, they become more expensive to use. One of the things I like about NEAR is that it's so focused on the utility and the usability of the token and the chain that we've already seen things like votes among the community that either decrease the price of gas or increase it or change what storage costs. And I think that allowing for those kinds of changes means that it can remain usable for large groups of people. and. That's why that's one of the things that has me optimistic about near being able to onboard the next billion users to crypto is that it is focused on that usability and making sure that people don't get priced out of the functionality. As far as where people are putting their energy and what they appreciate on the chain and seeing on the chain, I think that there's ebbs and flows of interest in things like NFTs and JPEGs and things like that. Ideally, what we see is the early creators being revered and appreciated for what they brought to the chain. And I think what that takes is curation and the usual mechanisms of cultural preservation that highlight these. And I do believe the curatorial work is real work and needs to be rewarded and paid. So if we see those things happening, then I do believe that creatives will still have their place in this ecosystem because they... We might be well along, but there is still a lot to figure out.
2: I, I want to double click on the curation. And, but before that, I find it really interesting. You've basically covered a lot of things that I hadn't thought about, but I agree. But I was coming at it from the other end. And I'd specifically look at the ecosystem and I guess the way in which crypto can be, and some would argue should be very aggressive in terms of funding to attract mm. developers and projects. I'm going to be perhaps a contrarian host and say that I think money ruined the creative community on Nier. And we actually started seeing the pendulum swing from less true creative pursuits and more and more money going into that space. Like something shifted over the last, say, year. And I'll use a year reference because roughly one year ago, we launched Near Misfits. We'll, yes, we'll also we've dive seen in that.
0: Yeah, we've seen that. Yeah, it was really wild because at that time, generative collections on Nier weren't a thing. And yes. Near Misfits was the first. And we did that together. So that was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for being such an awesome person to work with on that. And I think that one of the things that the influx of interest in generative projects on Nier caused was a little bit of dilution of that quality of contributor. Because we really didn't have an eye out for people that were doing things like pump and dumps and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't really something we were worried about or even looking at. At least I wasn't. Maybe you have a little bit more degen blood in you. So I think that there was like an influx of that and that might have caused some bits of it. But I also think it comes down just to the fundamentals of incentivization and why people are around and doing things. And I can say that even within the Dow Cubator program, which is around to help people figure out how DAOs are meaningful and apply to their businesses and all those things. When that started, there were much larger grants available. And what we found was that the size of the grant didn't really necessarily line up with the success of that DAO. The more important thing was the mentorship and the micro grants to allow them to experiment with the chain and get things right and do onboard their communities with link drops and all those things. Yes, absolutely provide those funds. But beyond that, it was really the mentorship that lined up with the success of these groups.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating. I think it really comes down to culture. Like, I remember when we started formulating the idea of Near Misfits. Oli is the creative director. I guess it was the more business strategy go-to-market. And we really enjoyed crafting this narrative around the first fleet of the metaverse. And we really wanted to capture the essence of the Near community in March 2021. I lost track of time. I spent too long in lockdown. <laughs> it was a community of builders. And I always say this if you stuck around the Near ecosystem through the bull market, when Solana went to 250 and Near went to six, you truly believe in the vision that Near is building and you understand that work needs to be done. And I think that for that reason, we were able to connect at a different layer and mm. we weren't really looking out for those scams. We understood. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to assume that we both understood the need to create that culture around art and NFTs because we could see thriving communities on Ethereum and Solana. So bringing that to near was essential. Yes, Jordan through 10K built a machinery that could be enjoyed and has been used by many projects. And we were gratefully the first project to go through, which was amazing because I've always had a major passion for product and user experience. And it was really good to basically be both the user and almost like the co-builder. I've mentioned this, but I really enjoyed having the meetings with the developers and with everyone involved. And it was really interesting.
0: The first time is always the hardest whenever you're building anything that's meant to be reproduced. And I feel like we did a lot of good work hashing through the rough edges of what it takes for creatives to put out generative collections on Near. And because of that, yeah, we had and, something that was reproducible.
2: Yeah. And... I don't know if struggling is the right word, but that is definitely something that Oli and I have struggled with because we feel like we never signed up to being that classic PFP pump and dump as we know it before. I'm pretty sure that if you ask either one of us what the floor price was at any one time over the last year, we couldn't tell you. We don't track those things. We've both kept building the near ecosystem. Oli is down to a second funded project from Human Guild. Hopefully we'll have more information on that soon. And I'm looking at ways at, actually, maybe I'll just, i it here. This is not going to go for another two or three weeks. But thinking of ways to bring the project back to our roots and our origins, Neuromisfits will soon be shifting to Misfits makers. And we really want to make it around a community of founders. We don't really want to, ask people to own a Misfits to be part of it. But we do want to make it clear that the conversation around the community is for building projects. We want to have regular events to flash out ideas. I feel like a whiteboard session. I have an idea, the tech stack. We just get together and share. It could be like tech related, could be go to market, could be anything. The times have definitely changed. And I'm really happy to see that there's a lot of really good pfp projects that are truly innovating in mm-hmm. that space
0: so we don't really need to fill that gap and yeah i really like that that's uh, that's a nice leak and it follows along the lines of yes this was the first thing and the vibe at that time was very different and it was the founders that were there and the builders and that's who bought the collection is everybody that was around and believed in that vision so i think that it rings true to like continuing with that legacy and further reinforcing it and acknowledging it is a really cool thing.
2: I really like that at the time we got a small grant from the foundation to pre-purchase, I don't know, the amount. It may have been a hundred, may have been small amount of misfits with the deliberate purpose of ensuring that the misfits were spread across all the communities at the time. Mm-hmm. We did reach out to every single one of them and... I guess it was a very unsophisticated way of what they do now with whitelists and stuff. But that was meaningful for us, especially because the communities were small back then. And we see it with languages because I'm exposed to both the Spanish and the English-speaking communities. There's a lot of activity in Spanish that I wouldn't know about if I didn't speak the language. And I know that this is being replicated in the Russian-speaking community, in the Vietnamese-speaking community. So being able to be mindful about that and really bring them in, have one makers global community even though inevitably we will be splintering off but also and Sasha may be a time traveler definitely a true visionary he personally bought over 40 50 misfits and he gifted them to very very selectively founders core contributors OGs as some people may describe today and when we talk about misfits for all its Merits and flaws. <laughs> the one thing that I really like is that a lot of those people still hold the Misfit. And I know that it is a very unique and rare early user group that, like the founding team, they don't really care about flipping. And that's the sort of community we want to tap into. I'll tell you another funny story and we'll see how this one ages. I've adopted an amazing group of young Portuguese students. They are one of the few, even though the only, team of Portuguese hackers that have met and I've been giving them some ideas, some suggestions, introducing them to people, everyone. My luckier, like <laughs> Nate from me today is like any questions that they have, I try to pull them in the right direction. I want to make sure they win. And I guess it, it goes to that wanting to maintain the community, super approachable, super open-ended, like how can we make sure that mm-hmm. if, if somebody starts today hacking and they literally have like 10 year in the wallet because they're students. How can we make sure that they can grow in the same way that we grew one mm-hmm. year ago?
0: I think, I mean, that aligns very well with just my beliefs on DAOs in general. And I think that the more permeable they are, the better. So the easier it is to join and even leave the better because that way, you know, when somebody walks up to something, they have so many resources at their disposal, they can immediately begin contributing and and feeling good about that there's this positive feedback loop and then also if things aren't going well there's no sense in sticking around like of course you want people who are willing to like hit some roadblocks and keep on working through them and we see so many of those troopers in this ecosystem as we've fought through many different technical difficulties and establishing standards for NFT events and all these other things but you also want people to be able to leave and for that to be a fair and equitable and honorable thing to do so that it's not like this huge stigma. And that way you don't have people who are either freeloading or just sticking around and actually doing more damage than good because of some resentment they hold or something like that. So I think that it's very important to think about not just the onboarding, but also the offboarding. And I think it could be controversial to say that, but I think that it's really important to give people that sense of freedom. and. That is very inherent to me to the decentralized web and really the core values of what we're building.
2: I love that you say that because I've been thinking about that a lot. (laughs) I think it was in the conversation with the magic powder, magic Mm -hmm, power mm -hmm. uh, team. I mentioned that because some other ecosystems are a little bit stuck or restricted in the technology. In the weirdest of ways, they've actually had more time to think about their culture, their mm. values, and their intent. They well, may never be able to execute on them, but you see more thought leadership before you could code were words. Mm. And that is something that, I don't know if it would be fair to say, you remember the Moloch DAOs? Yes. One of the features that I really liked about them was a rage quit feature. By which you could literally rage quit the DAO and leave, taking a proportion of the treasury with you. Now it is clear that this would be only applicable or fair on a very narrow set of DAOs, as we've seen the potential configuration of DAOs expand dramatically. But it does go to to your point of being meaningful about the offboarding. This is not the most subtle one, but just...
0: <laughs> rage quit is a little less subtle, but it's just as important. It speaks to that need of there being a clear and obvious avenue. And this isn't something even unique to Dow's or Web3. I think that even in corporations, some of the most expensive things that you can possibly do is hire and fire people. So if we build systems where those things are less expensive, we'll see people using the law of two feet to be making the most meaningful contributions they can with their time on Earth.
2: Do you have any examples that come to mind to maybe illustrate that like life cycle, say a DAO that does a people can get onboarded this way and this may have been some of the challenges they experience now offboarding people or perhaps this could be some of the solutions in which they could offboard people Mm smoothly so that the DAO remains healthy and has.
0: Yeah, I think that a lot of it has to do with documentation and communicating it clearly, those avenues to the audience so that, where they are, they can see that. So some people like reading their Gitbook documentation. Some people like hanging out in Discord, but wherever it is, your community is being sure that it, that you're communicating the ways of joining, how to contribute, how to be a meaningful member, and then also then like how to exit. And it's very important to design the exit for yourself if you want true decentralization. If you're the founder of something, you want to be able to step away at some point. Again, not only in Web3, this is like how companies work, Is after a while, like, you need to step away and have faith that what you've built will continue to run as a machine.
2: Life prepared me for this moment. Oh, my God, this is hilarious. So when I moved to Australia to attend university, obviously it was very lonely, and I joined every single club in society. I joined the ski and snowboarding club. I have never seen snow in my life. Oh my God. I joined the cultural clubs of countries I didn't know that existed. And, and the they, one thing that I noticed as I was walking around the orientation week, joining all these clubs and making all these crazy new friends, was that there was no club for Latin America. So I started my own, the Spanish and Latin American club, Slack. <laughs> and when I was going through the registration process, I don't know why the. Registration lady thought that I was the brother of the former founder of the Slack equivalent. And she told me, true to character, that the former Slack got deregistered for corruption. <laughs> so she thought that there was this like legacy oh, of wow. strong men coming to take her over the club. Anyway, I don't, Amazing. Have, Amazing. I don't have any brothers, but if I did, they'd be running Slack right now.
0: Just get them in there. And
2: one of the things that she mentioned during the training was that the true test to the longevity of a club is whether it survives the founder. Mm. And that a lot of clubs had that cycle of, you know, I I started mine in my first, second year. I was at university. uh, Too long, actually. And I was really proud that I was able to recruit a really good team. And increasingly, I handed them more responsibility. Even after I left. They rebranded. They changed the flag. They changed the logo. They've changed the activities that they run, but it's still there. That's and awesome. Uh, considering that there's about three Spanish and Latin American people at the university, mm-hmm. <laughs> very proud to see that the legacy remains. I hope this is aging well because I graduated yeah. a few years ago. I don't know if it's still there today. Today, but you know what I'm saying.
0: They've probably graduated too, maybe by now. And yeah, they made it theirs, and that's so cool. And Within our space specifically, if we're talking about Web3, I think that one team that's doing really well along these lines of helping people document everything is the deep work folks. And they have been they were grantees from Near Foundation, and they have built a couple different apps and experimented with it. But using the framework of design thinking have established what looks outwardly like a company, but once you're actually inside of it, it's just a series of work getting done Based on bounties and it's very DAO-like without actually having any DAO structure. They found it at all Web2 style, and that's been great because it's also allowed them to accommodate any chains, including Near. And are they live on Near now? What
2: are they live on Near?
0: They don't. They're not live on Near. No. Major it,
2: alpha reveal.
0: Yeah. The, so it's possible to use them to run Near projects.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. I'll link them in the show notes, and I'm really excited to check them out. It would also be good to have them on near Mainnet. I don't know what that means. I'm just a net promoter of the near ecosystem. So There are discussions.
0: (laughs) There are discussions.
2: Yeah. Just real briefly to touch on the last Slack point, the reason why I told that story, other than to indulge listeners in my personal private details, is to highlight the importance of culture. In that university setting, it is well understood that either you graduate or you fail and they kick you out. But the life of the leadership is limited. You're expected to move on, and you're expected to look for your successors. There's a big problem in cultures where the longevity of the leader is not defined, and stepping down may be seen as a weakness or as a failure. There's people that drag the ship down with them because there's just no framework where we make it normal to sometimes step aside.
0: Yeah. Totally. Got to design it in from the very start.
2: Okay. You said one thing that really got me going. All right. Because I think some people in the Web3 space, like we've seen the craziest shit, but they have not seen this. And I would really like to encourage everyone to learn more about it and really implement it. Design thinking. Yes. I know that you are in the product space. You've been leading the development of now several very successful projects, advising others is design thinking, Jordan?
0: So for me, design thinking is just a framework for taking kind of that artistic process of digesting a bunch of chaos and boiling it down to actionable items and things that can have an impact. I don't know if that's the traditional way of looking at design thinking, but for me, that's what it is. And there's different frameworks for actually executing that. But what it is meant to be at the end is very pragmatic application of a system of thinking for taking something that doesn't make any sense, getting everybody's input and boiling it down to actionable items.
2: That's pretty good. Considering I put you on the spot, that's pretty good. I, it only just clicked to me that design thinking is very important. I'd say for every project but it is particularly important for early stage projects. And I may say that design thinking is actually at the opposite end of analytics. And I've actually experienced this over the last year where you have people that are successful and experienced in large web two companies that may actually be to their detriment when they enter the web three world and maybe a scrappy startup because we don't have analytics. And that actually goes to a broader point or criticism that I have in society, which is we assume that the information exists. We assume that the information is correct and we just want it to be fed to us. So I love that design thinking begins from that chaotic state that you mentioned. And that chaotic state is literally the world at large. Pick any area of interest that you may have. There is chaos there. And there's opportunity to solve problems. The definition of innovation is looking at all the steps to perform a task and either removing steps to make it simpler or adding things to create value in new ways. So I love the observational aspect of design thinking. It really forces you to be a critical thinker. And then, as you mentioned, I really like that it's just the right mix between the creative output of serving and creating hypotheses and whatnot, and a very clear framework to distill them, mash them, condense them. You should always end up with something that is actionable or something mm-hmm. that starts to resemble an MVP or a proof of concept or just a better version of the same product.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's great guide rails, giving permission to play, imagine, get all those options out there, and then also... Giving you the authority to be able to whittle things down to what makes sense after you've had that fun. I know
2: that you've had the joy and the pleasure to lead AstroDAO, which I think amongst the governance frameworks out there is definitely leading, especially in terms of usability. It is probably one of the few projects that to this date is leveraging the most the user experience of near. Do you have? Any specific examples of perhaps things that you guys identified along the way as, okay, this is an observation of what we want to achieve, and maybe the process of how it got distilled to what we have today, and maybe even some other priorities that you may have of improvements into the future?
0: Yeah, I think that Astro is fascinating, and the way that it has evolved has been very iterative. I go into any project knowing that we're going to have to iterate, especially in this space where the very thing that we're working on is changing underneath our feet as far as like new smart contracts being released and and things like that, new white papers coming out and people changing how they're thinking about these tools. So along those lines, I'm really happy with how Astro has become just a very versatile toolkit where if you know what you want to do with a DAO, you can get in there from a web interface and get it done. It's great for that. I think that in the near future, I'd like to focus on things like actual user journeys and looking at how DAOs are meaningful and what successful DAOs are and how to enable that easier. And I think that that's something that does need to be iterated towards even more than it has been today. So there's still plenty of opportunity. As a user, a few things that I've noticed
2: that definitely go above and beyond, or I think there's a saying like uh, surprise and delight. I don't know if I'm talking about the right thing, but the first one would be the landing page. It no longer says DAO. I think yes. it now says the toolkit for governance, something.
0: Yeah, governance operating system, I think. Something governance like that.
2: operating system. Yeah. It's more human. You yeah. take out the buzzwords. You make it clear value this is proposition. The value. Yeah. So I'm imagining that would have been a deliberate decision, and there would have probably been lots of data points in a chaotic world, both within year and the outside world, that led to that.
0: Yeah, I think that yeah. So absolutely on that, and there was a lot of discussion around really what Astro should be or is, and I think that that's an ongoing, healthy discussion to have because it is very nascent space. Like we're discovering all of these things. And I do love checking out other DAO tooling and I do love where Astro is. And when I criticize Astro, it's because I'm so familiar and close to it and passionate about it. So I have to always have something that I want to work on there. But To get to the point of some of the exciting things that have been iterated on and really successful, I I love the notification system. And that's one of the things where in the framework of governance, it's always hard to get people to participate. And now we have mechanisms to like ping people, whether it's on Telegram or Discord or SMS or email that action needs to be taken. That's instrumental to keeping people roped in. And I think that has contributed greatly to the fact that we have so many active DAOs on the platform is just that one simple thing.
2: So I'm really curious, other than the team itself using their common sense of creativity and trying to perhaps emulate what is standard in the Web2 world, or notifications, are notifications, were there any other data points that you guys looked at to realize it was a problem? Like from experience, Ref Community Board, if you were to do an analysis of how many days it took for a proposal to pass over time, you could probably have a pretty clear correlation of proposals took longer and longer. We started having proposals expiring. We had to remove members that were inactive, add new members. Like, mm. it is clear that while there is a cycle to every board and it is normal to sit down and add new people, we did start to struggle. Like, that, that mm-hmm. community board has been there for, I've been a member now for, I guess, close to a year, mm. over a year, and it is a pain point. I'm actually on a slightly higher level on that board, just because I've got more admin duties of literally chasing people through multiple platforms, Twitter, DM, Telegram. I've got a mailing list, which is not even up to date anymore. It's something that I could justify as not being too dissimilar to what I'd be doing at a Web2 company, but it does have challenges in the Web3 space and it makes you wonder, can the
0: platform tackle it? Yeah, and I've been chewing on that as well. I think that the what you're experiencing is totally normal, where after a time, people's interest wanes. That's fairly human. And I always look at these things from the perspective of not trying to change what humans do, but trying to adapt the tooling around them to accept that this is how humans behave and they will behave this way, so why don't we work with it instead of against it? So I'm really interested in things like dynamic quorums where over time things can adjust and be automated and that's some of the greatest powers to me of blockchain and automation and daos is the ability to do like these dynamic things automatic market makers are great but what about automatic quorum makers can we have those maybe
2: what is that (laughs) if you had to
0: explain it to me like a five yeah so So quorum is the threshold that you need to pass a vote. And the idea would be that like, if over time less and less people are participating, that there would be a gradual decrease in the amount of weight needed to pass a vote. So if a DAO was waning and there was only one person left that cared, they could basically unlock the DAO maybe a year from when it started, or you pick the timeframe for how that Wow, That automatic quorum making was going to work, but that would help a lot of DAOs that have gotten stuck.
2: That is fascinating.
0: Because of my legal training, not because I am an
2: evil bastard, my mind immediately goes, to so, like, risk mitigation and what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. I definitely see some Machiavellian people out there deliberately not saying anything, don't prompt anyone, say... I
0: could be a
2: dodgy admin person and not tell anyone and then take over the ref. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I mean, that. so that would play out in the way that you would expect where if there was risk of it, people would understand that there was risk and then that might incent some participation.
2: Just because I put myself as a target, I think that if people are disengaged enough that I'm the last one standing
0: you should get it. I take
2: the bounty. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I imagine it that
0: way. <laughs> I'll share it with you.
2: Hooray. <laughs> right. Let's get this implemented. We just high five. if you're just listening. I want to get too technical because I'm not going to get it anyway, but I'm just really curious as to where does that logic sit? Does it have to be programmed at the smart contract? And what were the implications there around indexing? How often people vote? Do we need like more data tooling around it? Is it technically AI? Because I know that data and reputation and AI are like the hardest things right now. I'm trying to stretch my brain to understand more of that.
0: I think that it can be done fairly deterministically. And I think that one of the missing primitives to make it a reality is eventing around things that happen in DAOs. Right now we have eventing on fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens, but we don't have eventing on just... DAO transactions. And if we have that, then we can trigger things deterministically based on actions. And you can see how long it was since the last action and things like that. So yes, it would be at the smart contract level. And I don't think it requires anything as clever as AI. It just requires a few parameters to be set about the timeframes and how you want that to play out.
2: That's fascinating. And we may make these small segments an example of what a Misfits Makers brainstorming session may look like. I'm wondering whether you could also do it like the other way. Say, the DAO to determine who the most actively engaged members are so that you basically have a smaller subset of people that can approve things. Like, Mm -hmm. say, if out of 100 votes, 10% of people have voted in all of them, then they get superpowers over time. Because I love human behavioral psychology and it's all about incentives and deterrence. And even though... The deeper you go into psychology, they may say it's fear and love. When it comes to crypto, we're able to at least design some very clear incentives and actually mm-hmm. economically. And So could we be looking at maybe rewarding people for voting more?
0: Absolutely. And don't want to let any alpha slip, but I think that's a, a great thing to incorporate into DAO tooling.
2: We'll leave that one at that. So Jordan, we've done a fantastic job at covering mm-hmm. some of the DAO. Philosophy. Yeah. One last feature that I want to highlight on AstroDAO before we move on to NDC is going to be the function calls. Custom function, function calls, calls library.
0: Yeah, actions library.
2: So, one of the features that I really like about AstroDAO is that not only are you able to vote on simple transfers of assets on the treasury, but you're also able to vote on any function call on a smart contract. Once again, putting myself on the shoes of a user, I can see how if I am running a DAO and you want to have community members running this DAO, that is a huge barrier to cross. Like I am not in a position to ascertain whether the code that is being voted on is correct. And that may just put me off from doing it at all. And just to explain to people, when you vote for a function call on a DAO, If the proposal passes, the code executes automatically. So it could be taking NIR from the treasury and staking it with Metapool and the DAO receives SDNIR. It could be adding liquidity to ref. There could be many examples. You could buy NFTs, sell NFTs. The DAO basically operates just like any other user, but the function call parameters, even though I'm sure that they're super dumbed down, it's just JSON. They may be out of reach for some people. So I really like that the library creates a repository of used and, I guess, verified Mm -hmm. libraries. Successfully executed. Successfully executed. Any thoughts around design thinking approach to it? Mm -hmm. Did you guys sit down and say, hey, this DAO is extremely powerful. We have a feature that has been underutilized. How can we get more people to use it? Did you have requests from projects?
0: Yep. Yeah, there's been a lot of work rec- to help make that whole process easier. And the fact that there's even a library now came through that process of hearing people's successes and failures with the custom function calls and wanting them to be more reproducible. And this is definitely a starting point from what we imagine this to be as far as like readable by everyday people, because that's the end goal is for Astro to be usable by everyday people. Part of what needs to be in place, I think, is better uh, documentation of the smart contracts themselves, because if the smart contract isn't documented, then there's no way for anybody to discover what that function call does. So some of the work that Willem and Chad have been doing at Aha Labs on things like Rain, where there's an ABI or like an interface that describes every function call and what the parameters do, and that's part of the contract, will allow Astro to then surface that information about any call that's being made.
2: Can anyone get that information? That, that, that yes. smart contract documentation?
0: Oh, wow, see, I love that because I am a
2: big fan of no code and I believe that if I could create a pretty front end with a no code platform that has the ability to do, it's it called, like SDK calls mm. or JSON or API calls, yeah. to trigger function calls in Near then you could basically re-skin an existing smart contract, like near names I'd love the, to see a proper, beautiful interface that uses the NearNames function calls. Same as you, I just don't know what the function calls are. And I'm sure it wouldn't be hard to find out, but this is just to highlight the type of user that I am.
0: The composability gets super exciting.
2: CLI gets wild. I need a very simple documentation. So that can be triggered. Yeah, that is amazing.
0: Yeah, I love the all of the work that's going in there. And then it also enables things like the multi-call app that Shluff and, and Leonard are working on. So things like that, when it's a little bit more visible from the outside of the contract, what the contract is doing, you don't have to do so much sleuthing. You can focus on just what you want to get done.
2: Amazing. Have you met Kluff in person?
0: Yes, I, yeah. I did to me? Sneaky guy. He's so sneaky.
2: I'm out there mingling with the people and he comes from behind and he's like, Oh my God, AVP. I love your content. I cannot believe I'm meeting you in person. And I'm like, this is strange, but I guess I do have great content." <laughs> <laughs> I reach out for his badge and I'm like, nice to meet you. Like, what's your name? What are you doing? And he's I'm not ready for this. <laughs> and he goes away. Hey. And the people that I was talking to are like, is this normal? And I was like, I guess it, it is now. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. If you guys wanted like some early validation that the function call is working at Ref, we staked 100,000 near with Metapool. And now we have SD near on our treasury. And we're really excited to see more treasuries doing the same. If you think about it, DAOs potentially, ideally, called Onto to a lot of capital. And if they could put that capital to work, if it's near, stake it with SDNIR. If you're holding onto USDC, put it in borrow. The fact that the DAO itself is the one entering to the smart contract adds so much transparency. Yeah. That was my pet peeve. I was like, wait, so we're running a DAO, but you're going to tell me that we have to send all these near to an individual so that they can stake? And at least with SDNIR, you, you can see where the SDNIR is. With normal staking, it's just in the validator. Like, you need to know which account did it to, I guess, go check on an explorer. Like, it just becomes very hard to build trust at scale. So, very excited to see that implementation now. Love it. Moving on to what may well be a test of community organization and all the DAO tooling, past, present, and future. Near Digital Collective, NDC.
0: Yeah, it's a great topic. It's a very timely, exciting topic. We rammed straight ahead
2: before nearcom, so I'm glad that we're here to discuss it.
0: Yeah, I think that this is something where the idea for it isn't that new relatively. This is something that Ilya has brought up on the forum over a year ago and hasn't really managed to get kickstarted. And then more recently, when he presented the concepts at ECC for how this could actually play out, that got people excited about it again and then the kind of mandate came to make it real real fast and i think that it's ambitious but that doesn't mean that it won't be successful i think what it means is that it will have stumbling points as it becomes successful that there will be learnings and that we'll be learning quickly as we go through this process at a breakneck speed i think that there's a tendency in crypto to underplay the human element of things like DAOs and the complexity of government. But we also have a bunch of brilliant minds that are working on this. And the reason why they're so brilliant is not because of what they know today, but because of how they learn and how they bring that knowledge from several domains into use in these new domains. So I have very strong faith that we can build something amazing amongst us. I don't think that it's going to be easy by any means. And I think that the people who are signing up for it now are just incredible troopers. And just they're purely out of passion. It's almost insane, I will say, that, that, that they're so dedicated, myself included. We are insane, I, Jordan. Yeah. It's, we it's need one, help. Yeah. It's not being compensated in any way. And I think that might be like a, a problem too, just in general, of Things like this kind of work, if it is actually important, then there should be money behind it as a sign of how important it is.
2: You got to strike the right balance, which goes back to our original point of the creatives kicked off the movement and then money may have side railed things. Just to give people a really quick overview of what the Near Digital Collective is, I will be linking the ECC talk, which I strongly encourage everyone to always go to the primary source. And I also had a Twitter thread summarizing it. So I'll also be including it on the show notes. Basically, Ilya outlines some of the experiments with governance. There's been some successes, there's been some failures, and there are some challenges. It's like an open chapter in a book, an open call for anyone to try to tackle this. I think that near having solved some of its technological challenges, Now we're able to concentrate on what comes next. Chain is running. Okay, how do we transfer the governance? few blockchains can say that. And one of the things that Ilya identifies is conflicting interests or how to align interests across all stakeholders. The very obvious examples would be something like a tragedy of the commons where there are core contributors, shipping code, creating real value for the network but no real way to remunerate them or there's Mm. no clear pathways. And then on the other end, you would have people that are creating no value. And in some ways, they may actually be creating negative value, even as far as brand destruction and destroying community and extracting money from sources of funding. So this has been challenges that we've been grappling with since the beginning of humanity. We just face them in a smaller context for each ecosystem that you go into. Long story short, the proposal from ECC, which is there as food for thought for the community to entertain, and we're now elaborating on it, would see the new Foundation transfer 100 million a year over time to a treasury, and there would be three entities or three bodies. The first one would be an executive or an operations branch. They would be everyday operations people or we may see them as the counterparts of a Near Foundation employee, but from the community. The other two institutions fall under the Congress or the representatives for the Near community as a whole. The first of those two is a house of merit. So full-time, committed, well-known, standing, reputable community members are part of that house. And then the second is the House of Congress, where people would be able to vote using a quadratic, something from their stake near. So they need to have skin in the game. There are some really interesting intricacies there around the decision-making and which house vetoes whom and whatnot. But I feel like it is definitely, as an early experiment, a good balance between you must have leadership and responsibility. So executive, this is your actual job somebody needs to show up and do it house of merit you need to have the insight the experience but also something to lose perhaps you don't want to have people going rogue and then the house of stake it's the same but more detached you'd lose money if things go wrong am i describing it correctly so far do you have the same understanding do you have any that's my understanding
0: as well that's the general shape of it and i do see it as a starting point because it's very broad strokes when you're talking about governance of something of that level and needing to actually implement it, you'll get into many more details than that. And I think that that's what we're working through right now as far as like looking at what that actual government, the governance like format is, what the features are of it and then technically what's capable and those kind of two teams or concerns working together towards something that captures the needs and what's possible. And then there's, again, you're mentioning the fact that there's going to be bad actors designing for that, designing for bots, designing so that the things that we know that will happen won't break the system. And it's usually boils down to Sybil resistance as like the first thing to look out for. So that's something that we have to design for. And then Yeah, maybe we need some mechanisms like KYC. Like maybe it's important to at least say, yes, this is a real human. We don't need to know all the details about them, just that they're a real human and that they managed to pass the KYC. You must
2: have your DNA on the blockchain. You need to send us a blood sample or some other bodily fluid. All of them. I think you've started answering the question. I was going to ask, what are the main challenges and opportunities that you see with this kind of framework? But most specifically, I wanted to ask you the role of Astro because there's something in here that keeps happening that things click eventually. And you realize that it seems to me as a user and actively engaged community member that we have been very deliberate in building a strong governance platform like Astro Mm -hmm. where to go through all the features in light of NDC a lot of them make sense now yes and if we had to look at the very strong encouragement of basically every active community on near to be on AstroDAO, it all makes sense now like hopefully a lot of these concepts at least on the technical side are not new and hopefully a lot of these concepts make it easier for people to feel comfortable even contemplating something like ndc so is this a mastermind planned many months in execution move or is this just convenient and you guys now have an
0: extra user? I said before that the Ilya talking about this idea of the decentralized governance is not new. I think that it's been clear that he's been passionate and interested in this for a while and that has informed putting so much energy and effort into things like Astro and it's just coming back around again that hey, maybe we can implement it now. We've got the set of features, we've got all of it fairly easy to use, maybe we can do it. There's still discussion of if this really does belong on Astro or if we need to implement something else. I believe that it's going to be the easiest thing to reach for and that it's flexible enough to be configured however we do imagine it. We've seen very clever things with DAOs of DAOs and different kinds of weighting of tokens and things like that. So I think it's totally, depending on what features we wind up deciding we need, feasible that we will see it on astro i don't think that there was any huge deliberate plan that like oh we'll get everybody on astro and then we'll say there's the ndc i think that these things were all happening independent of each other with the same source of inspiration and people getting excited about those thoughts and those ideas star. yeah so there was the north star and it's, it's brought us all in the same direction and it's great that some of these things are now dovetailing into each other in a way that like you said clicks it feels right makes sense
2: as much as I love to indulge in conspiracy theories and to think that there was a great mastermind orchestrating this I actually think it is way better that we can identify that North Star the reason is that the North Star should be visible from everywhere in the world Hmm. And it should be encouraging for communities and builders anywhere in the world to know that as long as you build towards those principles and towards those goals, you could very well be those service providers. You could be growing exponentially. As you said, it's not entirely clear whether it is going to be Astra or not, but we can already see how there are applications and service providers that will be plugging into the infrastructure. Just in the last week, and you've shared one of them, I've come across three identity, and KYC on the blockchain providers. So it's really exciting. I guess if you were starting a project, it is reassuring to know that there is a market for it. The Mm. ecosystem is moving in that direction. It's time to build.
0: Definitely, yeah. And we'll be seeing how the North Star is great and it gets everybody on the same page and we're all moving towards that direction. But then there's a lot of tactical, tangible, everyday. How do we get from this place of being excited about it to something that's functioning and will continue to function. And I think it'll take iteration. I don't think we'll get it right the first time. And as long as everybody's open to iteration and doing a, a gradual release of funds and seeing how the experiments go, then like, the success will build. Much in the way that we saw the North Star, these pieces were all coming together across the ecosystem. We have to let it build up and grow somewhat organically in that sense. Yeah, that's a really
2: good point. I think the North Star should be the blanket reassurance that if you invest the resources, and the most valuable one really is time, it will be worth it. And I think a good example would be we have a mini hackathon here in real life person. And shortly after, there's going to be Meta Beetle 3, eight weeks global. And we're not fucking around. The description of the event literally says, We're going beyond the MVP. We want to have products. So how can I sell to my young Portuguese hackers that the time that they're investing in this 48, 72-hour project, it's worth for them to pursue it on an eight-week project? Because each layer that you go down, there's a new set of complexities. Like It doesn't take that many layers to be a core contributor Mm. and being creating any piece, and you have to seriously invest, are the rewards going to be there? An example on that front would be RPC providers, indexers, data analytics. There's just so many tools that you need to have the reassurance that everything else is moving in that direction and the demand will be there. I would even say, if you think about sharding, we are nowhere near meeting the maximum capacity of one shard. But we're up to four, yeah. eight in net, and we're putting out the chunk only producers like there's no tomorrow. So we know that at the core level, North vision is clear. We must be able to scale because there will be applications in the web three that match web two, and that requires a lot of capacity. So how do we make that trickle down to everyone else, to all the plebs listening to this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not easy, and it comes back to those funding questions, and again, you can ruin things just by throwing money at problems. That's not in the solution. I think that it's making those incentive rewards meaningful and making sure that they line up with the kind of behavior that you actually want to see. And I'm a fan of more incremental payouts for participation in hackathons and things like that, because what the blockchain and fungible tokens and all of these things do is give us a way of capturing value and rewarding it at a much more granular level than we were able to previously. So to be stuck in this idea that we can only reward things at the very end of a hackathon, it just feels very old world to me. I would rather see people getting incentives along the way so that they see ways of their participation presence and everything else and their checkpoints being rewarded and keeping them participating because how many people start a hackathon and they don't get to the end they don't get to present they did build something but they're not confident about going on stage but if they had those encouragements along the way then suddenly they've already been building that confidence up and by the end they're like people have been saying that this is good so far i'm ready to take this step tackle the next hurdle
2: Let's have this as a call to action north star. We do want to get community input on this one. I've actually been in contact with the uh, near Hacker House entities. They're going to be having one monthly in the US, which is super exciting. But once again, we have, okay, the logistics aspects, set up the house, mm. find a funky warehouse with indoor rain. <laughs> and then we have the user experience side. What is a participant's journey? And what you say is 100% correct. A lot of people start, they may not finish, but they learned how do we encourage them to come back to give you their best. I agree with you, money can sometimes actually ruin it. Mm. And I think, I really believe that a big part of fairness needs to be proportionality. As I mentioned, if you know that you can go into a hackathon and without diving too deep, you can get $5,000. That's a full month's worth of salary in many parts of the world. So how much do we have to pay to go one layer deeper, two layers deeper? During a bull market, it's not a problem. But during the current market conditions, it's actually broken. Like we can't afford to get developers full time to build what they have to build because they can just do smaller gigs and still get compensated fairly. And before I get assaulted when I walk out of this podcast booth... (laughs) I am in no way trying to reduce rewards for hackathon participants, but I do feel like there could be ways to align incentives. Say, for instance, as we've had the prelude of one monthly hacker house, and this is going to be increasing around the world. What about if you participate in the first one by joining the second one, the rewards can actually compound Mm -hmm. and hopefully the quality of the code compounds, the quality of the community compounds. That may be a tangible way to see both growing in tandem. And that may like even that. be if you don't even do much in the first one. Putting halfway through GitHub repository, you're not gonna get any money. But if we can see the progress over eight months, let's be honest, that is a truly valuable developer. What you've learned yeah. bumping into walls for many days. I love my job because this podcast booth has air conditioning and you are <laughs> one of the best guests we've had. But just over your shoulder I can see these Massive space full of tables and I am always amazed at how many people are sitting there on their laptops coding away. This is like Disney world for geeks. Like we've had fire twirlers and a bunch of food and drinks. Like these people are so committed. Even if the code is shit, it's fine. Cause it's not going to be
0: shit forever. Yeah. I
2: think I hope.
0: <laughs> oh yeah that's why you have tests and eventually it runs well but it i think that's it goes back to that person who's attracted to the near ecosystem and the fact that some people just have fun coding and that is their disney world and i i knew people like that when i was first doing like chiptune concerts i was throwing music like events for folks and there was people that would show up and just sit on their laptop the whole time and be coding at the show and that is something that I was surprised by but I love too. It's like everybody gets to do their thing and there's room for it and everybody gets to enjoy however they need to enjoy. If you're
2: listening to these and you haven't already, definitely try to go to a crypto conference near you. I experienced it for the first time at East Denver earlier this year and I loved that ultimate libertarian approach where I actually think it was harder for the speaker because people are in and out of the room. Half the audience is sitting, like, I guess, facing the stage, but on their laptops. Like, I really respect it because back in my university days, academics whose egos were larger than the entire building, they would have kicked you out of the building. Oh. They would not let you in late because you would interrupt them. And if you were on your laptop consistently, they'd be like, hey, don't take notes. is recorded. Shut your laptop down. If you want to do something else, get out. Like, it was micromanaging people in a way that I know did not lead to any better educational (laughs) outcomes. And, uh, I mean, clearly, clearly people were doing, like, online shopping and stuff.
0: It's not
2: like they were doing much output. But I do respect that in crypto, everyone has full lane to do whatever they want. Some people are coding. Some people are partying. We meet somewhere in the middle. And... We'll see over time how it evolves. There are times that are more stressful and we do have to push, but at least this event is amazing and I'm glad I'm here.
0: Absolutely, and you can't play down the need to celebrate. And I think that so many amazing things have happened in the ecosystem. There are so many people deserving of a little celebration and I do love to see it when they get that.
2: A hundred percent. Sir Jordan, I am mindful of time. I need to literally run. Eh. We have a pitch competition tonight, Metapool with Human Guild. There are seven games presenting their games. Awesome. Their progress so far, and the winner will be getting 20,000 ST in year. Delegated to them through Meta yield. I, I don't, don't want to brag, but I have enough meta to sway this competition.
0: <laughs> nice. And
2: I want to go and find the game that I think could be the most fun and could bring the most users i've always believed this but is this certainly true in a bear market we need things to do on chain that are fun we need Absolutely. things to do on chain that are independent of price that's why i really respect your work with all the creatives people that are creative committed to their craft because beasts obviously have had a bit of a heat in the bear market as well and yeah i don't know why but i get like these like weird fascination
0: with seeing transactions go through on chain. Oh, I, I love just watching even there's the the near dot stream, dot stream, all of the NFT transactions that happen because of events now, you can just watch them flow by and it's fascinating. And you can see trends popping up of oh that thing must have just launched because a ton of them are minting all of a sudden and
2: it's great. How many basement spies do you think are just sitting there monitoring all the transactions
0: i would be so surprised but i would also not be surprised
2: definitely more than one yeah this is actually how i identified the near x exploit a few weeks ago really yeah actually two separate events for the near x i was doing some i was rebalancing the pools we were balancing our pool with st near the markets were shaky so all the pools were off balance. I'm guessing a lot of people were swapping into to sell to USDC. The NEAR X pool was like very extreme, like above 75%. We raised the alarm with Ref above 80, 85, 90%. We were actually live on a Ref Finance community call and we just had to contact the Stator team and proximity. It's pretty really wild, but there were a couple of analytics tools like Pikespeak, where mm. you could just see the trend. The amount of swap transactions in any one time when you compare them with a historical reference, it's not normal. And when you start to identify, it's the same account. And there were a lot of patterns that, I think it went the old school way, but it became immediately clear because the information is there. Mm -hmm. Blockchain is beautiful. Senator Warren, we're not doing anything illegal. It's all there. Yeah. The other one, which I thought was really funny, shortly after the nearest exploit was, Pizza maker,
0: what's that one? I oh didn't my god, catch you don't know about pizza no, maker. On me.
2: So I am, and I'm monitoring the blockchain. I am the basement dweller. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I noticed was that the number of transactions per 24 hours had doubled, and I tweeted, "Oh, probably nothing." And a couple of assholes replied, "Yeah, nothing." And then I kept looking at the explorer, and I was like, this is not normal, like the number of transactions per second was off the charts mm. and it was the same account. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be a party pooper and say that near transactions doubled, but it's one person. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. If we were a genuine user, that's fine, but something was off. We we're putting a lot of transactions per second, all swaps and ref. They weren't even making money. So, Ring the alarms, ref, everyone, you know, Lucio, who's a technical co-founder at Metapool, he's a bloody gun, looking to the code. Eugene, to dream, I think it was him. (laughs) (laughs) He had the best explanation. He's probably someone testing out a MEV maximum, maximum extractable value. Mm. And he explained something about just trying to overload the RPC notes to get your transactions in first. This person burned over four thousand near, two point something million transactions. Went, like we broke records, and after it ran out of near, it just stopped. The simplest explanation is a bot with an error, maybe an infinite loop. But there was logic. In it. Like there were real transactions, a lot of stablecoin transactions, and like very small, they rebalanced the pools. I'm not entirely sure this was an error. Pun story short. I identified a pizza maker as soon as he got started. Like, it went on for 24 hours. I started a trend. Je suis pizza maker. I <laughs> bought pizza for dinner and I shared the photo on Twitter. Oh,
0: uh, wow. Like, uh, nice. It's for the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Thank you. Good tales. Good tales. Yeah.
2: If this hasn't encouraged you to go and watch transactions live, I don't know what
0: <laughs> would. Good times.
2: Sir so Jordan, when to have you back on? Any
0: parting thoughts? Just thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Everybody go check out AstroDAO, of course. And if you're feeling really ambitious and excited about governance, check out the Nier Digital Collective because it's going to be a ton of fun.
2: We want your input and we would not want to have all the fun to ourselves.
0: That's true.
2: Jordan, thanks so much. Sharing is
0: caring. Thank you.
2: Actually, I may edit the order afterwards. What are you most excited on for Nier for the next... Six to 12 months.
0: So, the thing that I'm really excited about is Wallet Selector and then the pattern of progressive onboarding where people could sign in with any OAuth and get a non custodial wallet that they graduate out of into a custodial wallet. And that will allow any DAP, if that pattern is propagated, to have that kind of like easy Web2 experience and interface that allows everybody to get comfortable with it. And then they have their learning moment with crypto when they realize that those tokens can be used for something else, like the Sweatcoin folks. Damn,
2: I can't believe they almost let you go. <laughs> so when you say any OAuth, we're talking like Apple. Yeah, Google, like all Facebook, the usual
0: OAuth stuff. Yeah.
2: That's almost bigger than is there like standard documentation? Any builders out there looking at implementing these? Are there like ghosts? This to is places in my brain. More?
0: But it's been executed by several people already. So what what needs to happen is to take those executions and to turn them into a pattern that's easy to reproduce. So it's been proven. And the next step is to, yeah.
2: Call to action, North Star. Contact Jordan Gray. (laughs) Let's go. Too easy. Okay, that's a wrap.
0: Thank you.
1: That's the end of another episode. As always, I just want to thank you for listening because, well, let's be honest,
2: you are amazing. And I also want to
1: remind everyone that everything contained in this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast shall be construed as financial, medical or any other type of advice. And you should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial decisions. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that you stay up to date with the latest episode. We've got a steamy hot pipeline of guests that will keep you entertained right through the bear market. Stay safe out there
2: and I'll see you soon. Bye.